welcome to Heartwork Studios, the podcast. My name is Jesse Perkins. My name is Kaylee Denikin. And our Heartwork Studios podcast is a place where you can find inspiration to heal and find your own heartwork. Here at Heartwork Studios, we believe that everybody has a path to healing and we want to hold your hand and help you find that path. So sit back, relax, take a deep breath, listen to the content that we have for you on this podcast that will make you feel safe, heard, and inspired to heal yourself in your own heart. From our heart to yours. Hello, Heartwork Studios podcast listeners. It is Jesse Perkins here. I am going to be interviewing Miss Kaylee Dunnigan, co-founder of Heartwork Studios. We'll be talking about what brought her to her concentration in yoga teaching and meditation, a little bit about her career, and why Heartwork Studios is so important for her on her healing journey. To start, um, maybe just starting with that very first layer of who you are now and like an introductory of who you are right now, but only focusing on the present. So as hard as it is to not talk about how you got where you are, but just mm. where, who you are in this space, in this present time, mm. um, that would be my question. <laughs> um I love that that's so cool and creative um and it's hard too it's like challenging to not to not talk about your past when you talk about who you are like I never realized until this very moment <laughs> how hard that is um so who I am right now I'm a I mean I guess logistically I'm a yoga teacher um I am I'll always be a social worker, whether that's my job title or not, but just the embodiment of a social worker. Um, that's, that's a part of who I am. And it was before I got those, before I got that degree. Um, who I am in this moment is someone who is healing, um, who's searching for peace, um, but finding permission and not always having it and not being okay. Um, I'm building, I think. I think I'm building a foundation right now. Um, I see myself as someone who who forever, well, I guess that's prior to this, but now instead of living in an unsturdy house um, with, you know, broken baseboards and a cracked foundation and a leaky roof, I'm starting a really concrete, beautifully constructed, carefully, carefully constructed foundation um, that I can begin to put some layers onto. Right. So I think, I think in my life uh, up to this point, I've, I've had so many layers and I think right now I'm like the core of the layers. Like I stripped myself of all the layers. Um, and now I'm, I'm creating new layers, but they're transparent. They don't, they don't hide behind other layers. Um, because I think that that's a tendency that a lot of us have in the world. Um, so I'm trying to be really careful about making sure those layers aren't opaque. Um, so I think right now I'm at the core. I'm at like, okay, stripped everything off of me. Like it's been really fucking hard. <laughs> and like I've, I've been working so hard on like healing and, and crafting and building and being inquisitive and asking questions. Um, 
and really being honest with myself about like what I'm feeling and my emotions and history and present moment and future and what the actuality of that looks like versus what I thought it looked like or what I perceived in my mind that it was supposed to look like. Um, and I see those as the layers that I have kind of peeled away. Um, so now I feel like I'm at the core. I think it's really amazing too, to say how you give yourself permission now to build that foundation. So it's almost like, like finally you've met what your actual true core is and giving yourself permission. Okay. I'm going to let this shine through everything. And then everything is so connected to just that one. I just really like how you said that. And it's a really good visual. Um, Do you think that that's what would excite you now to start this journey of Heartwork Studios? Is that what excites you about it is because you know that this is your core shining through? Yeah, I mean, totally. Like, I feel like a different person than who... I don't want to say who I used to be because that woman and that girl is still a part of me, that human, but it's, I totally, I've evolved, I guess. And like you were saying or, or reiterating, like I gave myself that permission for that to be okay for me to like erase the chalkboard of the Venn diagram of the pros and cons of who I, thought I was supposed to be in what column I thought I was supposed to fit in. Um, and so I think heart works too a dream I've had for a long time, but I had so many layers preventing me from seeing it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think seeing this in myself um, and being open to the experience of healing. And I mean, it, it is something you have to be open to and you just like, you have to give yourself permission to find peace or relaxation or take a day off or have a cup of water or, a nap, you know, whatever your permission may look like on a daily basis, you have to give yourself permission to heal too. And that's more of like, kind of like a contract that you sign, like, and so I think embarking on that journey, when I started to embark on my healing journey, I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't have a choice, but it felt like it was that or shut down. And I, I didn't want to keep shutting down. Um, And so I think embracing that journey inspired me to, to understand that everybody else in the fucking world has the same fears and the same anxiety and the same worries and the same unsureness and the same lack of self-worth and the same mental health like concerns or symptoms or, you know, it's, it's healing's not linear. And so I realized through that journey, like, God, someone else has to fucking feel like this. (laughs) Like somebody else has to be struggling and hurting and either they're protecting themselves with their layers from feeling it or they're they're denying that it exists or they're they're running from it they're in fight flight or freeze mode and they're they're either stuck with it they're running away from it or they're they don't know how to how to react to it so i think so i think heart work really has been a baby that's been birthed from from that journey of, of both of us. Um, but from my perspective, that's definitely where the inspiration has come from. Totally. And I think too, just how, how much of ourselves we give up when we admit that those struggles is really hard for a lot of people. And I think it's hard sometimes too, to realize that every day it looks different 
So you're mm. not failing if it looks different one day. Totally. You know? Totally. I mean, he, one of my, like one of the quotes that got me through and it's so simple, it's like four or five words or however many, but it's so simple, but I had to tell myself this every day during a really dark period in my life um, of that healing is not linear. And I saw the graph in my head of the healing going up and down, like even the farther that we get into our healing journey, we still have hard days. And like, like the permission of that being okay has to be present there too, because that's the beauty of healing is that it's, it's a door that you open and you do have the power to close it, but opening it brings in all of these guests that you have been like putting on do not disturb for however many years and they're some beautiful guests and I mean they're all beautiful in nature but some of them you know have really hard things to say to you and and healing is opening the door and saying okay it, they have hard things to say to me but but it's okay I, I'm here and I can listen to these hard things and I can grow from them and I'm safe because I'm building my foundation of self-care or health or wellness or you know healthy coping skills or a partner or family, you know, whatever your, whatever the first piece of your foundation looks like, like you always know that you have that to fall back on and that you can, you can turn to that instead of closing the door and shutting the guests out. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like as you found this stability, this, um, or this courage, I guess, to face all of those things and to start building that foundation, as you said, in your present moment, I think it seems to me as yoga and meditating was one of those things that allowed you to open that door. So if you wanted to talk about how yoga teaching came about, I know it's one of your most recent endeavors and, and how you decided to, why you decided to teach it. Yeah. Um, yoga came into my life. I think when I was in college, um, I had a roommate who did it and she like followed YouTube videos. And so I was like, Oh, yoga is something that makes sense. Like my logical brain. It's so interesting to reflect on because my logical brain was like, Oh yeah, that's who I am. But my layers were preventing me from really connecting to it. And so I would physically do the, the poses, the asanas, the flows. Like I would physically do the yoga every once in a while, but I didn't give my heart permission to be a part of it. And so it faded away and it came in and out of my life. And I do it to be able to say like, oh, I did yoga today. Like I'm spiritual. I'm connected to myself. I'm healed. Like I'm a good person. You know, like it gave me that validation of like, you can do a chaturanga, like you're succeeding in life. <laughs> and I, I let it go for years. Um, and then I got more serious into my career and I moved across the country and like, I was very involved in my relationship and I still am. Um, but it really faded away and it just became something that was there that I wanted to say was a part of who I was, but I wasn't allowing it to be a part of my life and I wasn't allowing myself to be a part of it. So about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I um, began to go through just a very, I would, well, I shouldn't say began to go through. I realized that I was going through a really difficult period of my life um, and that that difficult period had always been there, but I had been masking it and the layers were stripped and I was just like this naked core and I was vulnerable and I was scared and I was hurt and I was fearful, so fearful, so much anxiety. I was depressed. Um, I just was like 
everything that I knew about who I was, was just like totally stripped from me. And, you know, I, I, I remember the day I woke up one morning and I was like, every morning was a, such a struggle to wake up. My dishes sat in my sink. My laundry didn't get done. My apartment was dark. I never wanted to leave. I didn't feel safe to leave. I was so hypervigilant. I was extremely traumatized and was working through a revelation and a diagnosis of PTSD that I have had probably most of my life and wasn't aware of it. And I woke up one morning and I was, I was reading this book um, by this author who has now become a really prominent part of my life um, on being human by Jennifer, Jennifer Pasteloff. And I was, I read a part about like, who actually are you? Like, what is your core and who do you want to be? And is, is your daily life aligning with who you want to be? Not who you think you're supposed to be, but who your core is telling you that you want to be. Um, and at that point I only knew my core because I, that's all that was with me anymore. I didn't have the protection and the mask of my layers. I didn't have my job anymore. I didn't have, you know, the ability to be social anymore. I wasn't using alcohol anymore because it was a very, it was a negative piece of coping that I was utilizing. Um, I was trying to take care of myself, but I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was just, I was in such a vulnerable place. And so I thought about it and I got out a piece of paper and I wrote down, it was a very quick list. I probably still have it somewhere. I'd love to find it, but it was things that I want to do more of because this is the type of person I want to be. That was at the top of it. And the things on there were yoga, reading and reading every day, doing yoga every day. And I can't remember, honestly, I can't even remember the third one, but those two, oh, journaling every day. Honestly, I think that was the third one. And now, you know, so my agreement to myself was like, okay, I'm just going to do each of them for five minutes a day. Five minutes is better than none. It's, I don't have to set myself up for failure here, but if I, I, I be, that's when I began to realize how habits are formed. When I was like, I, I could barely eat during this period of my life. I wasn't, I could barely sleep. Like, but I was like, I can give something five minutes. That doesn't feel impossible to me. Walking out the front door of my house and getting in my car and going to the grocery store, that feels impossible to me. But sitting in my living room on my yoga mat, doing some poses for five minutes, that feels possible. Um, and so really that's how my practice started again. Um, and then as I felt more comfortable, there was a studio um, in the town that I lived in. It was very small. Um, there was only ever like three to five people in each class. It was this beautiful studio. The instructors were so kind. I found a home there. Um, and I would go to classes like once or twice a week. Um, and I usually paired it with like my therapy sessions that I, for the, the newly found therapist that I started seeing during this time, um, who I still see and she's incredible. Um, and I would go to therapy and then I'd go to a yoga class or I'd go to a yoga class and then I'd go to therapy. And that was like a monumental shift in what self-care looked like to me. Because there's never been a time in my life where I felt, despite feeling so scared and anxious and stressed and just full of worry and panic all the time and depression, in those moments, I had never felt more release. I mean, it, we, we think all the time that like it has to be like either or, like one or the other. Like we either can be stressed or we can either be at peace. I mean, I, I defied that by being in the most complicated emotional time in my life and feeling so distraught and, and small to feeling the most relaxed I've ever felt too. Um, so that's really where I picked my yoga back up. I started going to classes like twice a week. Um, and I did, I delved a lot more into my at-home practice. Um, 
And then I realized like, this is where I feel safe. Like this is where I feel supported. This is what feels so healing to me. Like I could walk into the studio feeling so stressed and worried about who I was going to see in public or, um, you know, what people were going to think of me or where my career was going. Cause I was on this like hiatus from it. Um, and I would leave and I'd be like, I'm okay. Like I'm safe. I'm nurtured, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And so it's like the mean voice enters the studio, but the kind, compassionate voice is the one that leaves. And I was like, I need more of the kind, compassionate voice. Um, so that's really, that's what I fell in love with, with yoga was the way that it made me feel. Um, and I was like, other people deserve to feel this way because I know that other people have layers and they're masking themselves and they're hurting, but they don't know how to deal with their hurt or they don't know what to say about it or who to turn to to talk about it because it's so complicated and it's scary. Um, but I wanted to make people feel safe and I wanted to make myself continue to feel safe. Really, that's how it started was when I started my teacher training program. I was like, I want to feel more safe. I want to have this thing that I can turn to and feel educated on it and supported in it. And I want the community of other teachers and training um, to make me believe or to not make me, but to further enhance my belief in this journey for myself. Um, and that's really where it stemmed from. I started training in October and I just finished my training last weekend. Um, so I'm officially a registered yoga teacher. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's been, a journey, but it was never about the poses for me. It was about the space. It was about me being so stripped to my core that I could finally connect my heart to the practice. Whereas when I was in college and my roommate was doing it, we were pairing it with wine and banana bread and in our, on our living room floor. <laughs> and there was a dog running through us and we totally weren't connected to it, but we were like, we're doing yoga. Like, yeah. Um, so so it really, really enlightened me to like how healing the practice actually is. And I, I remember feeling very happy that I finally met it that way. Did you get what you were looking for in your, um, in the community of teachers that you have met so far and in the classes? Was it everything you thought it would be? It wasn't everything I thought it would be. <laughs> and I don't mean that negatively or positively. <laughs> um, but growth is uncomfortable and, you know, we, we glamorize it a lot as a society, um, and as people, because we think that because we're advancing ourselves, that it's supposed to be perfect and awesome and enlightening, but it's fucking hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like it's uncomfortable. And honestly, like I was talking to my partner, Seth, about this, like very specifically, um, the other day and I had this revelation and I looked back and I was like, wow, every single teacher training was eight months. And I was like, every single teacher training weekend, I had to walk out of the studio and walk to the bathroom and sit on the floor and cry for like 20 minutes. <laughs> like every single weekend, I didn't realize how prominent that was in my time there, but every single weekend I did it. And that's not to say like I was miserable or that there was anything wrong with the teacher or the students. It was just such an emotional process of like, wow, I'm really being challenged here. And this feels like uncharted waters. And I don't know how to handle it. And, you know, I, 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 which is ironic because it's every yoga teacher is like, Oh, come back to your breath. Like, like, you know, like I'm supposed to know how to handle this, but no, we don't know how to handle this. No one knows how to handle everything in the world. <laughs> even the most enlightened people, even like therapists and doctors like don't have the answers. Um, 
so no, it definitely wasn't what I expected, but it was, it was different than what I expected. You know, my, my cohort of teachers and training was incredible. I like, I'm so grateful to have met them. I love that you're honest about that. I think that any time we embed ourselves in schooling of any sort, there is that like, Oh, this is so much. I didn't think I, you like, you think you're going to be an absolute natural at uh-huh. it. You have this envisionment of you crossing the finish line, but we forget about, you know, the hard miles in between of, of really having to push yourself. And I think that's what makes us love what we do when we learn or when we grow as people is because you had to push yourself. Totally. Totally. Um, going back to schooling, let's talk about your other profession and career (laughs) but yeah so I I have my bachelor's in social work from Castleton um and I out of undergrad I had this perfect envision of how my life was going to turn out and I was going to go do a year of service with AmeriCorps and then I was going to join this very beautiful prestigious like top 10 in the country master's in social work program at Boston University um right after AmeriCorps, but that's life being like, ha ha. And the universe being like, ha ha. When we plan things, it <laughs> makes it blow up in smoke. Um, so that ended up not being my route. Um, I was accepted to the program, but, um, because of some financial barriers, uh, I opted to not attend after uh, my time with AmeriCorps. And now I am after a couple of years of learning and taking a few different positions and then my life falling apart and, me having the opportunity to rebuild it. Um, I am attending the University of New England, uh, their Master of Social Work program starting in August, um, and I'll be full-time. I'll graduate next May, and I'm going to concentrate in um, clinical social work and specifically do some certificate training programs in trauma. Um, yeah, I. it's been a journey. I. It's been such a long process. I was afraid of my career for the last year and a half um, after the last job that I had in this field. Um, it really, I was there for a very small amount of time, um, but it really, it really broke me. Um, but I'm grateful for that because if it hadn't broken me, I wouldn't be able to be comfortable with myself and at peace with myself and, and really become connected and more in alignment with who I want to be. Um, so I am looking forward to starting. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a shift for sure. I love school. I've always been, I'm always a student. Like I I love learning, um, and especially ways to support people and find different modalities to be able to provide them the safety and space that they need, um, to grow and heal themselves too. So originally in undergrad, I was very like policy oriented and I was what they call a macro social worker where you're more focused on community organization and, and politics. Um, you know, I, I had envisioned myself like working on Capitol Hill at some point in my life, potentially pursuing law school. Um, I was very like, let's change the system, um, because it's so broken. And I tried to kind of take that task on, um, with every job I ever took and, was exhausting, but I didn't realize then that it was exhausting and that it was the problem. I just kept saying that other things were the problem, you know, Oh, my lack of sleep is the problem. (laughs) Well, Kaylee, your lack of sleep is due to the insane hours that you work and the amount of stress you have. Um, so, but now I'm, I'm again, grateful for the, the last year and a half that I've had of healing because now I'm headed in a, in a, 
I want to say it's like a quieter, like more safe direction of social work. Um, at least it feels that way to me um, because I'll be more focused on clinical work um, and being, you know, for example, like becoming a therapist um, and having a private practice or, you know, maybe working um, in a school or having a contract with a school and doing some work with some students like a few days a week. Um, it's much, there's much more autonomy um, and I'm less, I'm less likely to have to work for an organization for the rest of my life versus being able to potentially work for myself um, someday and have control over my caseload and how many clients I take on. Um, because that's a big fear that a lot of social workers deal with every day is what's my caseload? Am I going to get five new cases when I walk into my like cubicle today? Like that I don't have control over, like talk about anxiety, like literally being so stressed out at work and then finding out you have to take on more and that you don't really have a say in it. Um, it's, it's a taxing field and I commend anyone who, who does it. Um, but I'm grateful to find peace with being able to set boundaries in it for myself. Yeah, that word boundaries kept popping up in my head. It's like you had to learn to set those boundaries. You had to go through what you went through in order to know this isn't what I want to do here. You knew it was the field you wanted to be in. You were getting the reward you wanted, but then there was those things that were just like red flags to you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really hard to admit as well when you're in anything because you expect to be, you just want to be the best at everything you do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's all of a sudden you see a red flag. Oh, this doesn't feel right. And it's in that causes so much panic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Adrenaline what, is huge. What do you think? I think social work has so many connections to um, what you, what we dream for um, heart work to look like. And, and what do you think you've learned in social work that you can bring to the table with Heartwork Studio? Mm. Oh my gosh, so much. Um, so what comes up first are like the non-traditional things that people would, the things that people wouldn't expect me to be able to answer um, in the sense of like social work and being a social worker has taught me like that it's okay to say no, but social work didn't teach me that necessarily. It was the downfall that I experienced due to my inability to set boundaries in the career of social work. Um, so saying no is okay. And so I, that translates to, to heart work for me with like meeting people where they're at. Like, hey, maybe you'll listen to our podcast this week and then maybe you won't listen to it for three months because you're in a tough place and it's hard for you to heal, hear vulnerability right now because you're uncomfortable with being vulnerable. Maybe you're going through a period of time where you're not in a place where you can open your door and accept that help. And like, that's okay. Like we are not in charge of people, you know, we're not in charge of our friends or our partners or our families. The only person that we can kind of take control over is ourselves. Um, and so I think social work has definitely taught me like in, in an adverse way, like that saying no is okay. Um, clinically speaking, social work has taught me just the environmental pieces of our world and how they reside in our emotional and physical bodies. Um, our political climate, our, I mean, our, that we're in a national pandemic right now and people are struggling. People who don't classify themselves as someone who struggles with mental illness are struggling with mental illness right now. 
um, which I believe that everyone struggles with mental illness to a degree. I mean, you can't, I don't believe that there's a person in the world who's never felt anxiety before. That doesn't mean that you need to go to therapy and that, or that you need to be medicated or that something's wrong with you. I mean, that's, that's what the stigma tells us. But I think social work has really taught me um, that the environment and the world around us plays a role in how we're feeling um, and how, you know, how we behave and how we act and how we take care of ourselves. Because the, I was a psychology major when I first started in undergrad. And the reason I switched to social work was because psychology, and there's nothing wrong with it if you're into this type of healing, but psychology specifically looks at the brain and the body and the emotions, right? That's, that's the focus. Social work, especially clinical social work, looks at that plus a person's entire environment. They look at what's your income level? What's your job? What are your relationships with, with your partner like? What's your relationship with your family like? What's your relationship to your community? How strong is that tie? Um, you know, what, what are your coping skills? Like, how do you cope with yourself and your life? And what, what do you do when you feel stressed? Um, are you someone who wants to save other people? Are you taking on the burdens of others to, to stop taking on your own burdens, which I'm personally guilty of. I've done that my whole life. Um, so I think that looking at the entire environment when you're, when you're working with a person or with a group of people is something that I would love to bring to heart work um, because people are healing and people are broken and people are afraid of being judged. Right. But, but we don't, we don't judge them. We look at their lives from an external point of view. And instead of looking at them and saying, this one thing is going to let me define you in my head. Like, Oh, you struggle with substance abuse. I'm going to label you an addict. When you come to a heart work work workshop, I'm going to label you as an addict. Absolutely not. Like substances are a coping skill that I've used before in my life that everyone in my network to some degree has used in their life, whether it be for a night or for an hour or for a month or for a six month period or a few year period, or maybe they're still struggling. Like, like not labeling people as, um, you know, what their condition might be or something that they're struggling with, but rather just looking at them as this core and, or maybe, a, maybe a, a tree, I use this analogy with, like with my students when I used to teach looking at yourself or looking at other people as a tree trunk. And then all of these branches that come off this tree trunk are all the different parts of you. Um, I don't want to focus on one part of the branch. I want to focus on all of the branches and I want people, I want to encourage people to look at humans that way. And instead of just seeing the one branch that's maybe in a little broken and doesn't have as many leaves and is hurt. I mean, let's look at that branch and instead of being like, oh, let's just get rid of it. Or let's, let's leave this tree alone and find another one. Like, no, let's figure out a way to, to help this tree grow and to find those leaves and figure out why they're not growing. And provide a space where it's okay for that tree to exist the way that it is. And also using the tree analogy, I'm just thinking as well, all the seasons of ourselves. Mm, yes. You know, that ever-changing, we will grow back. And when we do, you know, lose our leaves, they come back in the end. Mm -hmm. But that, mm -hmm. that's a very neat analogy. I like I like how you made that visual. Um. So digging deeply, and I mean, you are totally in control of what you would like to share, but 
but you've hit upon a couple times or mentioned a few times that that you've had these dark periods in your life so if we pull back you know we've got the yoga teacher training and we have the social work piece but where are there any other moments in your life where you felt or you can reflect on now as wow you know, I was really broken then, or I really needed help then, or, or I was seeking all the help that I've found now, or all the tools that I have now, then, but you didn't know it. Totally. So yeah, I love that question. Um, I ask myself that question on like a daily basis of like, when was another time in my life that I was broken and didn't realize it? And it has taken me like a year and a half of therapy to be able to feel safe and going back to those places because, um, you know, not everyone has to be labeled with having PTSD. Not everyone who's experienced a traumatic experience has to be labeled with PTSD. There's nothing wrong with that label at all. And it shouldn't even be a fucking label in my opinion, but it's, it's a reaction. It's a response to something happening to you. Um, and so, time and time again, I find my, I find myself like going back. I mean, as far as childhood and being like, wow, that was not okay. Like that was not normal. Like that I was so broken or I was so hurt and I had no idea that what, that the way I was living or the way I was being treated was wrong, um, in the moment. But now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so awful. Um, so I think prominently my, my time in college sticks out. Um, I, I'm the first in my family to go to college um, and graduate. Um, and that was, that put a lot of pressure on myself. Like people weren't putting pressure on me. Like my family wasn't, they were just proud of me and, and loved to brag about me. Um, but I put pressure on myself to be the best. And so unfortunately being a first generation college student, I did not come from a wealth of financial prosperity. Um, I showed up to college with, like $250 in my bank account after buying books and ramen noodles. And I moved myself into my dorm room. I, I didn't have my parents with me. My relationships with them were not great at the time. I had essentially been on my own for about a year at that point already. Um, and I moved myself into my dorm room um, alongside like all of my sweet mates whose parents were there and were like, why is this poor girl moving herself into her dorm room? So I flash back to that moment in my life and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so fucking sad. <laughs> like, like, how was I okay with that? Like, I remember driving to Castleton in my Subaru too. Like, ooh, I'm going to college in Vermont. Like, let's go. I have all my stuff in my, like packed in my car. Um, but that was kind of like the seed that planted my college experience, which wasn't alone in nature, but was alone in, in accepting and really sitting with, like, it sucks that I don't have more support. Um, like it sucks that I'm doing this by myself because that first like move in ended up turning into the following semester. I thought I wasn't gonna be able to go back because, um, I wasn't able to apply for financial aid or for student loans at all. Um, so I had this like huge bill from first semester that just got left unpaid. And literally I, I didn't know how I was going to go back to school. Um, so I ended up getting a full-time, uh, waitressing and bartending job. Um, and I just worked like five to six shifts a week. Plus I was like 18 credits a semester typically because I double majored in social work and sociology. Um, and that's how I spent 
my five, it turned out to be five years at Castleton because I had to, I had to drop out twice because I was like a couple grand short on tuition. Um, and every time that happened, I would just pick up more shifts and work, work, work and like sacrifice friend time. But then also I would work like 13 hour days on like a, a Friday or a Saturday. Cause I would schedule my classes for like Monday through Thursday. And then I'd work doubles Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, at a restaurant. I, would like go work a double for 13 hours on Friday. And then I would drive back to Castleton and like go out and party with my friends and like totally lived on adrenaline. And then I'd wake up the next morning, go work a double, come home 13 hours later, do the same thing, wake up the next morning, go do the same thing, come home, sleep, and then wake up at 6am to do all the homework or reading that I hadn't done. Um, and I lived that way for like four years, like solidly for like four years, every year after my freshman year, that's, I had no choice but to live that way. Granted the partying like didn't happen all the time. Um, I was pretty self-disciplined in like when I could and couldn't have fun because my solely because not because I was worried about the effect that it had on my body, but solely because I cared so much about my, my, my major. Like I, I loved social work. I still do. I was obsessed with my classes, with my professors, with my homework, with my readings, like with my internships, my jobs. Like I had other part-time jobs other than the restaurant that I would do in the social work field, like in our local community, because I just loved it so much. Um, so that, that, that kept me safe a lot of the time. Like I easily could have developed like a severe substance abuse disorder or substance use disorder. I'm sorry, in college, um, because I had all the reasons to need to cope that way. Um, but my passion for my career really, really prevented me from doing that. I didn't care about myself, but I cared about helping other people. And I knew that if I was hung over all the time or, um, you know, just, yeah, basically that just hung over all the time. <laughs> I wouldn't be able, be able to show up as my best self um, for my clients that I was working with, whether it be at my internship or a job. Uh, so that period of my life, I look at and I'm like, oh my God, how the hell did you get through four years living like that? Like, even if you take out the drinking piece, because it really wasn't as prominent as I'm saying it is, it just feels like it was because it was college. Um, but even just looking at like, okay, I'm in class eight to five, Monday through Thursday, or in an internship, Monday through Thursday. And then I'm working 12 hours on Friday, 12 hours on Saturday, 12 hours on Sunday, or I'd like break it up and work nights, random nights, like during the week. But like between two restaurants and some so part-time social work jobs, that's literally how I lived for four years. I never had days off. And the only time I would have days off is if I was sick and like had to call out of work um, or not go to school. Um, or if I like planned very far in advance for like a specific day that I needed off. And it just that I didn't really do that a lot because I had goals. I was like, I have to pay my tuition because every single time I had to drop out, my heart was totally shattered and broken. And it took me like months to recover. But in those moments, I didn't see it as recovering from something traumatic. I didn't see it as like, oh my God, my education's being taken away from me and I'm emotional about it and it sucks. I saw it as like, I'm awful. I need to do better. I'm supposed to work harder. I'm not good enough. Like I'm not worthy of this degree if I can't care enough about it to get it. Um, and so when I think about those conversations that I used to have with myself, it's, it's, it's really jarring to see how broken I truly was. Um, and then fast forward a few years to after college, um, I did a year of service with AmeriCorps in San Jose, California, and I worked in an inner city high school uh, with gang affiliated students. Um, and with, 
you know, s students in low income districts uh, whose schools were underfunded and underserved, um, predominantly students of color, um, totally being like gentrified out of their communities. Um, I taught English and tutored English um, and I loved it. It was it's my favorite job I've ever had. It was really taxing. I worked like 13 hour days, but I absolutely loved it. And then fast forward to the end of that service year, like a month before my contract with AmeriCorps was up, I found out that the scholarship that I thought that I was going to be getting uh, to attend Boston University wasn't given to me. Um, and it was like a $64,000 a year program. And I was like, there's no way I can make this work. Like I immediately flashed back to college and was like, I paid like $60,000 in tuition over um, like over the course of my time there, like all coming majorly from my pocket, like from waiting tables, from getting tips, like from killing myself. I cannot do it again. Like I can't, I don't have it in me, but I, I didn't have the words to say that. I just felt defeated. I was just like, oh my God, I'm not good enough. Immediately is where my mind went. And I ended up, like we talk about fight, flight, or freeze. And in that moment, I totally was flight. I immediately found a new job. I ended my contract early with AmeriCorps by like two weeks, um, which was unfortunate because they didn't grant me any alumni status or benefits um, because I left two weeks early. Um, but yeah, so I, I immediately like drove back to the United States or to the United States, to the East coast. Um, I started, I literally drove across the country in five days, got back to Vermont on a Sunday and started a new job on a Monday because I felt like I had to prove myself. Like that is how badly I was like, I need to, to know that I'm good enough. Um, and so I look back at those times and I, and like, oh my gosh, how did I not like, like part of me is like, I wish someone like shook me and was like, hugged me and was just like, just breathe. But people were doing that to me. People were checking in on me. People were apologizing for what I was going through and like the injustices and the hardships that I was experiencing. But I wasn't apologizing to myself. Like I wasn't accepting that I was worthy of that space. Um, and so there's nothing anyone could have done. I mean, we, we are in charge of ourselves. We are not in charge of other people. Um, and sometimes we don't have control even over ourselves and our, our emotions and of our impulsivities. Um, so that kind of generated a ton of adrenaline and cortisol and just like go, go, go mentality. I jumped into a really hard job. I was drowning, like severely drowning. Um, and I just chalked that up to, I'm not good enough. Like I need to be better. Um, and so fast forward to the end of that contract, I took a job that I told myself I would never take in social work, um, which I wish was a red flag to me um, because my adrenaline was high, my cortisol was high and I needed to prove myself. Um, and so I did and it ended very quickly. Um, I lasted about three months, three and a half months um, and I had to leave uh, because it was, to truthfully, I don't even remember a lot of my time there. Um, I was extremely traumatized. I was experiencing a lot of vicarious trauma of like things that I experienced in my own life. Um, you know, parts of me that were opening up that I didn't realize were there. Um, and I was again, not really trained, um, and had to hit the ground running and there was way more power and liability with this job. And I was not comfortable with it at all. And I, didn't have a ton of support because of how busy the organization is. Um, but it really killed me. Um, so I kind of like blacked out. My memory is pretty blacked out from that time. And I ended up leaving. 
um, and made just totally fell away from who I was. Um, there's about a two month period where I don't, I just kind of, I was stripped, but I was still masked. Like I had stripped myself down to the point where I just didn't care about myself anymore. And I went into complete self-sabotage mode. Um, I began drinking like daily. I wasn't sleeping at all. I ended, I abruptly ended like a six year long relationship with my partner who I since have gotten back together with and we have an incredible relationship and our love is unconditional, thankfully. Um, but I just really wanted to hurt myself. I really wanted to, to feel the pain. I wanted to inflict the pain on myself that I thought I deserved. Um, and then one day I, something clicked about two months into the self-sabotage period and I woke up and I was just sick to my stomach. And I threw up for about a month, like multiple times a day. Um, I couldn't eat. I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't leave my house. Um, and I just was finally experiencing all of the trauma that I had been through in my life. Um, and so those are, you know, those are all periods that I look back on. And I, I'm like, how did I, how did I do that? Like, how did I make those choices? How did I get through that? how, who was making those choices for me? Like, how did I not see the signs and the red flags? And why didn't I care about myself? Like, why was I drinking six cups of coffee a day and like sleeping four hours a night and working until eight o'clock at night? Like, and you know, why was I taking jobs that felt unsafe to me? Um, that weren't of interest to me because I had to prove to myself that I could do it. I had to prove to myself that I could be put in difficult situations. And two, part of that was probably self-sabotage of like, you're going to suffer. I want to make you suffer because you didn't get the scholarship. You have to suffer. Um, so yeah, those are a lot of points in my adult life where I look back and I'm like, wow, I was so broken. And I wish that I could hug that version of myself now. Um, but I, that's in my, like, my daily practices of like, you know, you're safe, you're loved, and you're always enough. Those are, those are mantras I try to say to myself daily. Um, but we, we can't always control how we can't ever control what happens in the past. We can't control the decisions we've made or the, the self-sabotage we've embarked on. Um, all we can do is look inward and give that person love and, and figure out where it stemmed from, because those wounds are going to remain unhealed until we open them up. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you are bringing to Heartwork Studios is you hugging that version of yourself and saying <laughs> it's going to be okay because you know all of the other people in the world that are struggling with the same sort of loss or grieving loss of themselves or losing themselves and don't even know it yet. Um, it just looks so different in, in all the phases of our lives. And it's funny to look back at when we're aware and, and then see, make those connections and say, wow, I was really lost there. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there. Oh, yep. And there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, wow. What um, an amazing story to share, too, um, from your adult life. Is there anything you wanted to share about your childhood um, or any patterns that you've developed since? Mm. 
Yeah. Def- my, I mean, my childhood, I, I moved around a ton. Um, I, I've counted and I lived in like 27 houses before my 18th birthday. Um, and so my family lived in four States, but multiple times in a few different States, um, before, like before I graduated high school, predominantly I say I'm from Connecticut, from East Lyme, where you are also from, um, because that's where I spent the most time. And that's where I felt the most home. Um, because that was, that was a constant for a while. And that was a place we actually went back to. Um, so I grew up with like a very distorted version of what stability looked like because we were moving all the time. Um, and so I think that translates to my habit in adult life of like not accepting myself for where I was, um, and constantly moving around. I was, it was adrenaline, right? So like every time we'd move to a new place or a new house, it would be, or a new town, um, it was in a new school district. It was like, okay, something new, something fresh, everything's going to be better here. I'm going to make this choice and make this move. And my whole life is going to change instead of actually let's look at the, let's stay in the same place. Let's find stability. And so I, and I made the same habitual patterns in my own life of like, okay, I'm going to go to college and everything's going to be better. I'm going to go to, I'm going to do AmeriCorps. Everything's going to be better. I'm going to go to Boston university. Everything is going to be better. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to move back to the United or to the United States. Why do I keep saying that to the East coast? Everything's going to be better. I'm going to work for this organization and everything's going to be better. Um, so I definitely have picked up on some of those habits and, and translated them to my adult life. Um, and, and working to kind of dismantle them and replace them with some newer, healthier, more compassionate ones. Wow. You have so much awareness of how those patterns have played out into your life now. And it must be humbling to know that. Oh, this is where I got that from. Or or maybe just guessing. Oh, maybe that's where I got <laughs> that from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, what is... So going forward to the future and thinking about the future, what is... What excites you most about where Heartworks Studios is going? Where do you see it going? Mm. What does it mean to you? That sort of thing. Anything else that you wanted to share about it? Yeah, I'm so excited for Heartworks Studios. Um, It's a dream that both of us have had in different ways for a long time. Um, And I think the thing I'm, I'm really looking forward to and the way I see it is like it's a safe place. And the place isn't necessarily a physical structure, but it's a safe space that we foster and we encourage um, and we can teach other people to create for themselves um, so that we have the ability to, to kind of educate people on, okay, how do I create safety and comfort and compassion? And how do I listen to myself like within my own bodily home? Like, how can I, how can I open my heart with me, just me? How can I, how can I give myself permission to open my heart, like pull out what's in it, feel safe while doing it and connect it to like my mind and my body and my creative brain. Um, and cause I think that those are, those are grounding things. Those are healing things. Um, so that's what I'm excited for, for heart work is being able to create a, not a physical place that people feel like they have to run to. Um, like fight, flight, or freeze, but uh, a space where people can feel confident in creating the space within themselves and, and teaching the skills, providing the opportunity for people to, to learn those skills and 
and and have those aha moments of like oh this is a pattern behavior for me like i can't i can't sit still in a meditation because i am thinking about this one thing that keeps coming up in my mind oh i didn't realize that i was stressed out about that until right now like what is let's let's unpack this like what does this look like um so that is really what i'm excited for for heart work and the connection of humans like I want everyone in the world to understand, accept, and believe that it's okay to not be okay, that it's okay to struggle, and that it's okay to to unpack the pieces of you that feel scary. And we'll hold your hand while you do it. Like we're we'll go there. We'll give you the the the, the healthy coping skills of art and meditation and yoga and stillness and breath and and comfort and companionship. Like we'll give you all these things, all this, this whole toolkit of stuff that you can use for yourself so that you can come back to you. And so that you can feel safe opening up that door and letting in those scary guests, because that is what creates the most you version of you. And everybody deserves to feel comfortable in their skin. And when we're not the most us version of us, we don't feel comfortable in our skin. And we run and we cope with alcohol or drugs or Netflix or binge eating or, you know, and granted all those things are okay in moderation and in balance, but we, we tend to, to use them to mask our, our vulnerability. And so I'm excited for hard work to be a safe place for people to be themselves. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing everything and being so honest. And I think, I, I even just listening to that, even I've, I've known you for years after listening to that just makes me feel empowered and there's so much that I can relate to. Mm. So I hope a lot of people who do listen feel the same way mm. um, or find something to hold on to because you said a lot of really great, wonderful things in there. Thanks, Jess. Well, thank you so much, beautiful heartworkers, for listening to another episode of Heartwork Studios, the podcast. Stay tuned for future interviews with wellness experts and healing professionals and humans with beautiful stories to share. We love you. We're here for you. And we're so happy to have you healing with us. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at heartwork.studios. And please submit your healing journey, whether it be written or a poem, or a song, or an art piece uh, to heartworkheals at gmail.com so we can feature you and maybe anonymously share your story with the world. We love you and we're here for you from our hearts to yours.